Folks, I hope you are ready for uh, the last part here in our series on the life of Jacob. Now, it's interesting that we had our evangelist in this past week and he preached on revival. And this today is the last message I have on the life of Jacob. There's much more about Jacob, but this is where I'm going to stop. And it's a, it's a high note to stop on because Jacob experiences revival. Yes, he does. When we talk about revival, what are we talking about? We're talking about our soul drawing close to God. We're talking about the mental, emotional, spiritual, and sometimes physical, and sometimes even financial benefits that come when we draw close to God. But the most important is the father child relationship. Sometimes we wander away from God and revival means coming back to God, making our way back to him. That's what revival is all about. Every Christian ought to live every day in a state of revival. There ought not really to be a time when we backslide away from God, but we should always be living close by his side and following him wherever he leads us. This is revival. And of course, God loves to bless his children. The Bible says that God takes great pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God loves his children and he loves to give good gifts to his children, not to the point of spoiling them, but God loves to give special gifts to his children. But when we wander away, we stop fellowshipping with God every day. We stop following God every day. The fruit dries up. God often withholds those blessings. Now he still gives blessings of life and food, clothing and health and shelter jobs and things like this. Yes, he does. He does it because of who he is. He's a blessed heavenly father, merciful, loving, and kind. He makes the sun and the rain. Those are blessings. The sun and the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. So God is good. No one can ever point a finger at God and say, you are not good because God is good. And God shows himself good to all people, but especially to his children that are following him. All the blessings of revival. Jacob is in for a revival. Now we followed the story of Jacob When he was first born, they called him Jacob heel grabber because he grabbed hold of his brother Esau's heel as if to try and pull him back and to, to come out first. And so they called him Jacob, Yaakov. And um, he grew up. And when the boys were maybe in their early twenties, that's when uh, Esau despised his birthright. What an idiot to despise the blessings of God. He despised it and he sold it to his brother Jacob for a a bunch of food, a bowl of Wheaties or something. And then years pass, maybe 50 years go by and their father, Isaac thinks he's dying. And so, you know, the story and both these brothers were like 70 years of age when they were running around doing these things. And then uh, Jacob ends up with the blessing Uh, Then he had to take off for fear of his life on his way to his uncle Laban's place. He goes through a place. He has a sleep. He sees the 
the, the vision of the, uh, uh, the ladder with angels ascending and descending. He wakes up and says, surely God is in this place. He sets the stone up like a pillar and pours oil on it and says, this is the house of God. Beth El or Beth El. Beth is the house and El is God. So Bethel is the house of God. And so then he takes off and he goes to his uncle Laban, ends up marrying. Well, he thought one daughter, but he ended up with two. That's another shenanigan. And so he's there for 20 years. He's now 90 years of age and he leaves Laban. He starts coming back and he hears about Esau coming to, well, he thinks to kill him. And that's when he has in chapter 32, that's when he has his meeting with God and he wrestled with God all night. And that's when he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And we believe this was the place. This was the time when Jacob got saved. 90 years of age. Well, better late than never. And so then he meets up with his brother and it just seems right away. Jacob's back to his old ways. He lies to his brother and then he goes over to uh, a city called Shechem and Shechem is really a worldly place. And he's there for maybe 10 years. And there's big problems there. His daughter, Rachel gets uh, violated. And so um, these are, these are sad things in the life of Jacob, but I'll tell you what it happens when Christian men and women are living more for the world than for God. Sorrows come. Sorrows come. God affords us a chance at revival and revival helps to wash away the sorrows. Revival helps to fix that, which is broken. Revival wants to heal up and mend the brokenhearted and put things right. We have the opportunity of revival and we've just come through several days of revival meetings and many of you were with us. Oh, what a blessing that was. You can still go back and watch some of the sermons, but you have an opportunity today to continue now what God started. That's what we want to do here. Um, Revival is for Christians. It's not so much for the unsaved. However, when Christians experience revival, sometimes the unsaved will follow along and get saved. Revival is when Christians draw close to God It kindles a holy flame in their heart. It awakens life that was there, is there. Just the flame has flickered down. Now let's have a word of prayer and let's go through the, this chapter, the life of Jacob and let's maybe experience revival with Jacob. Pray with me. Loving heavenly father. Thank you so very much for your tenderness and kindness. I know, I know, I know you love us. You love your people so dearly, so desperately. You love the whole world. Now being born again through Jesus Christ, being made your sons and daughters, we enjoy a special relationship with you. Heavenly father, we ask that your Holy spirit would touch our hearts today. And dear Lord, search our hearts. 
See if there's something standing in the way of the revival and the blessings of God. Speak to us today. We pray in Jesus name. We ask. Amen. Well, in chapter 35, Jacob experiences revival in his soul. You know, every so often we need that. We really do folks. We need revival in our soul. And the Bible has many examples of uh, revivals that happen. They had a revival in Exodus 32 to 34 at Mount Sinai. They had a revival under the prophet Samuel at Mizpah in first Samuel chapter seven. There was even a revival with the prophet Elijah at Mount Carmel. Remember the 400 false prophets and the God that answered by fire. He would be God. Do you remember that? Well, I was with Elijah in first Kings 18. We get to the new Testament and we find in, in the book of acts that uh, revival came of course in chapter two under, under Peter's uh, uh, preaching and also acts chapter four. You know something revival is the will of God for our lives. One of not the only one, but one of the greatest revivals that we know of in history happened in 1857 in the city of New York. It started on September the 23rd. I think it was a Wednesday if I remember correctly. And one man named Jeremy Lanfear, he put out a sign inviting anyone who wanted to come to a noonday prayer meeting. You see in the city of New York, the business is all closed at noon for one hour from 12 to one. And he took advantage of this. He put out a sign. You see spiritual decay had taken over the churches. Believe it or not. By the, the mid 1800s prosperity was skyrocketing. Christians were swept up in this craze of wealth and creature comforts and prosperity. The railroads were all the rage. Steel making iron and steel was, was pulling in millions of dollars. People were getting wealthy and the Christians got caught up in this too. And Jeremy Lanfear, he put out a sign saying prayer meeting from 12 to one come for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, or stay the whole hour. If you like, that was his sign. And he prayed and prayed Wednesday, September 23rd, 1857. Jeremy's there in this rented room, this borrowed room. No one showed up. He went to prayer 10 minutes after no one showed up 20 minutes after finally someone came in. And then another person came in in total. Six people came that day. Now you might think, Oh, six people. Whoopee. Or as they say, big whoop. Jeremy, I think was encouraged. So they were going to hold another one next week. Same time. This people, this time, 20 people showed up. This led to a revival. No one, no one could see what was coming. The Lord did. And there was a 
a huge economic crisis. All of a sudden, the stock markets were falling and plummeting. People who were once wealthy were wiped out. Panic started setting in across the nation. And the prayer meeting exploded with people. There was like 10,000 businessmen. They estimated 100,000 businessmen in the city of New York at that time. 10,000 businessmen were showing up for prayer. They started opening daily prayer meetings. They had to set up rules where you're only allowed to pray for five minutes because there were others that wanted to pray. Revival broke out. And because of this one man's prayer meeting, they estimate a million people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. By the way, uh, some effects of that revival spilled over into Canada, into Hamilton. And they were having three and 400 people show up at prayer meetings there. Well, anyhow, revival brings the blessings of God. And I do believe with all my heart that God wants his people to be happy in him and successful as well. And revival is God's gift to us. And we're going to learn now something about revival in Jacob's life. So let's look at it here together. Chapter 35, verse one. And God said, now let's stop right there. Shall we revival is going to come when we start listening to what God has to say. All right. That's important. We're not going to get the blessings and the riches of God and closeness and fellowship and, and, and wonderful things he can do in our lives. We're not going to get revival until we start listening to what God has to say. Revival comes from God. Revival is not something that you and I can work up or orchestrate or organize. We can't hold a church business meeting and how many are in favor of a revival? Raise your hand and, and the majority raises their hand. All right. So be it. We will have, re- it doesn't work that way. It can only come from God. It's not something we work up. It's something we pray down and it's God who gives it. When God speaks, you can be sure God's got something good to say. And so let's, let's see what God says. And he says unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. Revival will come. Folks, listen to me. Revival in your home, revival in your marriage, revival with your children, revival throughout the church. It will come. Number one, when we start listening to what God has to say. And number two, when we start obeying what God has to say, does that make sense? It's simple, isn't it? It's not complicated. It's not hard. Revival. God will give it to us when we start to listen to what God has to say. And we start to obey what God tells us to do. That's when revival will come folks. What we have here is a call for action. God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel. Jacob needed to separate himself from his present condition. And that was living in Shechem and Shechem was a worldly place. You can't have revival. If you're going to continue to live in Shechem, 
Now, this is a call for separation. Jacob was dwelling in a very worldly and carnal city. You say, what wrong, what's wrong with that? It wore him down. It spiritually wore him down. It dragged him down. He could no longer detect his spiritual condition and God had to speak to him. Oh, I'm reminded in the scriptures earlier about a guy named Lot. That was Abraham's nephew. And Lot separated himself from the most godly man on the planet at that time, Abraham. He separated himself from Abraham and he pitched his tent toward Sodom, toward Sodom. And it didn't take long before he got a little closer to Sodom. And before he decided, you know, we're okay. We can maybe even move into Sodom, buy a house there, get settled, do business, prosper. You never know. Maybe we'll be able to shine and lead some of these Sodomites to, to Jesus Christ. Doesn't work that way, right? It's the old story of the guy who put on a pair of beautiful silk gloves, gorgeous, white, pure silk gloves. And then he went in his backyard And he started to play with a dirt pile. And his thinking was, I will continue to play with this dirt pile until the dirt becomes glovey. And the purity and the beauty of my gloves will affect the dirt pile. And it won't be long. It take a bit of time, but it won't be long. And soon that whole dirt pile will become nice and glovey. But you know, it doesn't work that way. Instead, what happens is the, the white gloves now become dirty. That's what happens. And that's what happened to Jacob and to his children and his poor daughter who got defiled. And oh, the mess about that. You'd have to go back and rewatch the, the sermon we did on that a couple of weeks ago. There's a call for separation here, folks, the worldliness of Shechem, the worldliness of Sodom. And by the way, lot, it says in second Peter chapter two, that lot vexed his righteous soul by the things he saw and the things he heard. You and I had better be careful. You will get used to all of the cursing, all of these Hollywood programs, movies and things, and a lot of different YouTubes and whatever. They take the Lord's name in vain. They use a lot of minced oaths. They use a lot of downright filthy language. You listen to that at first. Ooh, But you know, it doesn't take long. You don't go, ooh, anymore. You say, oh, it's a shame they use that language. But it doesn't take long. And now you're not even saying that. Now you don't even hear it. What? They use the Lord's name in vain. I didn't hear it. Go back. Oh, so they did. You see, that's what happened to Jacob and his, his children. That's what happened to Lot and his children too. Boy, oh boy, there's a guy that he lost everything, didn't he? I'm telling you, the world is no place for the child of God. You say, but pastor, what are we going to do? We are in the world. Yes, but we don't have to be of the world. Listen, my friend, you might not be able to stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can certainly prevent it from building a nest up there. You might be driving along, walking along, and there's a billboard with something filthy on it, and your eyes happen to see it. Okay, you might not be able to control everything your eye sees, but you can certainly control what goes on in your head and in your heart. You can be crying out to God. 
for wisdom and washing and refreshing. And that's what we need to do, folks. You see, Jacob never did any of that stuff. And God is now calling Jacob after 10 years, calling him. Okay, come on out of Shechem. And God calls you and I out of worldliness. And it's easy to get involved with worldliness. Many, a Christian who has revival in his or her heart and puts away worldly things. They can be some of the best counselors for other Christians to warn them not to get involved with these things. Listen, if God has done a work of grace in your life, if God has helped redeem you out of some worldliness, then you have a wonderful testimony and a wonderful opportunity to use that to influence someone coming along to caution them. There's a story of a, of a boy who was standing on the side of the road and he was looking down and, and he was, he, he, oh, the look on his face, he looked dejected. He looked very worried and concerned. And another person came walking along and the boy stopped them. It was a man. He said, mister, be careful, be careful. Don't step there. I did. And I got, I got hurt. You can do something like that for someone else. If you will use your experience and, and tell someone else best not to do this. I caution you. Don't do it. It happened to me and I got hurt. Praise God. He brought me out of it. Save yourself from getting into it. God calls us out of worldliness. You know, anything the devil loves you and I probably should hate. Now look what God told Jacob to do. Look back here at um, chapter 35. He says, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God. God told Jacob, okay, go back to where you're supposed to. And I want you to build an altar there. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I thought that Jacob already, or didn't Jacob build an altar at Shechem? Well, look at chapter 33. And I want you to see verse 20. And I want you to see, yes, Jacob did set up an altar in verse 20. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. El Elohi Israel. It means the God of the God of Israel. Interesting name. But I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice it says he erected there an altar. You see that? He erected there an altar. And I want you to look here at, um, again, um, chapter 35. And I want you to see verse 7. Jacob gets to where he's supposed to be. And he built there an altar in chapter 33, verse 20. It says he erected an altar in chapter 35, verse seven. It says he built an altar. You say, pastor, what's the difference? Isn't it the same thing? Some people think so, but I don't think so. The two words are different. The word erect really means to lift up, to straighten up something. The word build has that idea of building from the ground up. It gives you a little idea here as to what Jacob did and didn't do. 
when he was in Shechem, he didn't build an altar. He erected an altar. Now that may have been just simply taking a stone and setting it upright. This is this, by the way, is the only place in the Bible where it ever says that they erected a by, they erected an altar. Jacob did it. And he was in a state of backsliding. He wasn't walking with God. He wasn't experiencing revival and victory. He had lied to his brother. He went over to a worldly place called Shechem. He bought a piece of ground there. He set up shop. He was planning to spend maybe the rest of his life there. We don't know. He was there 10 years. So he erects an altar. It's like a bit of religiosity. He didn't build the altar and he didn't build it where God wanted him to build it. I don't think God was impressed with the altar at Shechem. I don't think God was impressed about that at all. I think that Jacob went to Shechem because he wanted to go to Shechem in disobedience to God, because God had previously told him to go back to where he came from. He didn't. He only went to Shechem and then he erects, he sets up an altar. And I think here, what he was trying to do was live in sin while at the same time live in God's favor. I think that's what Jacob had in mind. And folks, that's what backsliders do all the time. They try to give the appearance of living in God's favor. And at the same time, they're living in the world. What use is it to go to church on Sunday, but live for the devil on Monday? Unfortunately, this is what some Christians try to do. No wonder they have sorrows. No wonder they have frustration and confusion and anger. They have anger issues. A lot of them have anger issues. When you're not walking close to the Lord, you're going to experience a lot of frustration. You're going to experience a lot of fear. You're going to have a shorter fuse. People are going to boom, set you off sooner. There's going to be shallowness and emptiness where there once was fullness and joy. You see, this is why we need revival. Jacob desperately needed revival. I believe the most wretched condition for a Christian to be in is to try and divide his or her heart between heaven and this world to try to do what Jacob did. Well, let's erect an altar for God while we live here in Shechem. In Revelation chapter three, and I believe it's verse 16, the Lord Jesus had a rebuke to the church of Laodicea because that's kind of what these people were doing. And he called them lukewarm. And he said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. By the way, some modern Bibles, they say vomit out of the mouth. That's wrong. Vomit comes from the stomach. Spew comes from the mouth. There's other places in the the Bible that use the word vomit. Jesus said, I will spew you from my mouth. That's a pretty wretched condition to be in. If you ask me and it's useless. And I believe wicked to try to build altars to God while we're living in sin. And so I'm saying this, there's a call for separation. There really is. Let's get back to chapter 35 and verse two. Then Jacob said unto his household. Now pause here for a moment. I want to point out for you something very 
obvious, very simple, but very profound. Jacob was the head of his home. If you're going to have revival in your home, it's going to start with the head of the home. Jacob was the key to this situation. He was the key to his household. It seems to me that when a parent gets right with God and he or she starts following God and starts worshiping God in the home and praising God in the home and having private morning devotions in the home and having family devotions, family altar in the home and where God is exalted and where the, 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 the dad and the mom walk around and say, you know, this is, this is not right. This picture here or this magazine, we need to get rid of this out of our home. They do a little house cleaning when mom and dad get right with God. Normally, usually always the children will follow. Now there's exceptions. I know that there's always exceptions, but normally as a rule of thumb, the children will always follow. Now, if the mom or the dad barks orders at the children, say, go brush your teeth. Uh, they're not going to win any points there. They're not going to encourage their children to, to follow them in, in following the Lord. No, no, no. The, those things about brushing the teeth and making the bed and the chores and so on, they'll come later, but we need to get our hearts first right with God. And here we can see that Jacob finally, finally took the initiative here and he got right with God. I believe that in our churches, we need to give excellent ministry to our adults, to the moms and dads, the parents, because I believe that water rises no higher than its source and children will normally turn out no better than the parents so the better the parents are, the better chances the children have of turning out right. And so mom, dad, you are the key to revival in your home. Now let's get back here in verse two. So we have Jacob, the head of the household. And look what he says here. He says to his household, to all that were with him. He said, these words, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Now this sort of reveals to us the state of degeneration. Uh, Jacob's family wasn't all that spiritual. Wasn't all that strong to begin with. Remember his, his wife stole her father's uh, teraphim. Remember that we talked about that. It was the, the little gods, the little statues, and some believe it had something to do with, land ownership or property ownership. Others believe that it has to do with like replicas of, of God, that sort of thing, actual images, whatever they were, she stole them. Jacob's wife stole these things and then lied about it and hid them under a bunch of stuff. You remember his family, his two wives were always fighting like two stray cats. There was other problems amongst the, 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 the children Two of his sons went and slaughtered the men in Shechem. Like this was a dysfunctional family. And so they really had gone worldly because now it seems that they had all kinds of strange gods and crazy things of the world amongst them. It really reveals to us the depth of the state of their degeneration. 
Now I ask you this question. Is it possible? Is it possible that a Christian could worship a strange God? Is it possible that a man, woman, a young person who's born again, who's genuinely saved, could they end up worshiping a strange God? The answer may surprise you, but apparently, yes, they could. When we see this, this phrase here, strange God, it means the God of strangers. It doesn't mean the one true God. It means the gods that other people would worship the gods of strangers. Now in first John chapter five, verse 21, the apostle John writing to the believers and he zeroes out the, the younger believers, the, the more babes in Christ. And he, he says to them, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That was written to Christians, Christian men and women, young in the faith or weak in the faith. And they behaved like little children and little children are not old enough to make proper decisions. Little children are not old enough to be able to hold down responsible jobs and to be able to provide for families. Little children are in need of godly mummies and daddies that will help them and guide them and raise them for the glory of God. And when people get saved, they're first like babes in Christ. Then they'll grow up a little bit and they'll be like little children in Christ. And they'll grow up some more and, John anyhow refers to them as young men in Christ and they'll grow up even more. And John refers to them as fathers in Christ. You see that progression. So I suggest to you and I submit to you this morning that yes, it's possible for a Christian to worship a strange God. You say, pastor, can you define that? Yes. I'll give you a good example. The God of greed G R E E D greed money, not just money, but more money. I believe it was John Rockefeller, John D Rockefeller, who's long since dead. He was one of the richest men in the whole world. A newspaper reporter once asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And Rockefeller looked at him and said, just a little more. Isn't that true? You hold down a job someplace. Do you believe that they're paying you too much for your job? Would you go into your boss, your manager and say, boss, truth is you're paying me too much. I think you should reduce my salary. Would you ever do that? You'd say, no, I'd never do that. Well, tell me, do you think that they're not paying you enough? Should they be paying you more? amazing how many of us say, well, I think so. I think I'm worth a little more. When was the last time you were offered a raise and you said, boss, you're paying me too much already. Give it to someone else. I don't need it. Thanks very much. When was the last time you turned down a raise? You said, nobody turns down a raise. Some people do. But what do you believe in your heart about money? Are you living for money? What has a higher priority in your life? Going to prayer meeting or making more money? 
Which do you choose? Because that's what your children will see. They'll watch you, mom. They'll watch you, dad. And they're watching your life. And they'll see what's important to you. And if it's greed for money or materialism, or maybe it's worldly pleasures. Listen, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of enjoyment, a little bit of pleasure, but I'm talking about worldly over the top kind of pleasures. These are God's little gods that sometimes Christians, young, immature Christians make the mistake of bowing down to. Oh, listen, we need to get rid of these things when it comes to, to uh, making decisions of, well, are we going to, uh, well, now, nowadays we can't go to church, but are we going to sit down together as a family, watch church together? And uh, no, I will. He won't. She, she's thinking about it. What, what's going on here? When do we put the Lord first? When do we show the world our devotion to God? You know, your neighbors ought to know that on Sundays you worship the Lord. Your friends that come into your home, they ought to see up on the wall. There's a few things that tell them that you love the Lord Jesus. We have to make things right. We have to. Now, Jacob also said here, and it's very interesting. He said to be clean and change your garments, change your clothes. Makes you wonder what kind of clothing they were wearing. Maybe they had some kind of wild stuff here from Hollywood or something. God doesn't want his children dressing like the trash of the world. There's punk rockers out there that dress in their punk rock rags. Well, let them, but don't you and me. There's people out there that run to the beaches in their bikinis. Well, let them, but let's not you and me. And let's not frequent those places either. There's people out there that can hardly wait for the latest, wildest Hollywood fashions. Let them, but not you and me. Maybe we do need to change a few clothes. Maybe we should make sure that our clothes are modest and don't attract undue attention. Well, we're not going to preach on that, but I do believe that God's people ought to dress modestly. I think that's very biblical. Perhaps Jacob thought that his household was defiled by idolatry and maybe a change of clothes would also help. I do believe, however, that when someone gets their heart right with God, then, you know, getting a haircut or changing some clothes or something, it's not that big a deal. Well, let's look here. So he says in verse three, let us arise and go up to Bethel. And, uh, you know what? His children followed him. That speaks well of their children. So they weren't totally gone, but look at verse four. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods. You see this? Now watch, this is interesting. And all the earrings, which were in their ears. What do you make of that? All their earrings. So it must've been not just the girls, but the guys too. They had all kinds of earrings. Isn't that interesting? Now we understand the strange gods, but what about the earrings? Are we supposed to not wear earrings? I don't believe that men ought to be wearing earrings. Now you could maybe call me names if you want. I don't care, but I don't believe I can't find where Jesus wore earrings. Okay. 
I can't find anywhere where Moses wore earrings or any of the great men of God wore earrings. There's, there's nothing in the scripture to, to tell the men to wear earrings. They were ornamental. We have places where the ladies would wear the ornaments, but now ladies hold on here before you go throwing away all your earrings. I want to show you, at least I want to point out what I think is here in researching this. These earrings were not normal kind of earrings like a woman would wear. These earrings here were more cult objects, amulets, charms, or what they call talismans. And they would first be dedicated to a false God or an idol. And then they would be worn for superstitious purposes, for good luck, for protection, for power. That was more of what they were doing. That's why you've got the combination of the strange gods and the earrings. We're not talking just something simple ornamental. We're talking about something that was connected with the strange gods. And the guys were wearing them too. Oh, listen, they had really, they'd really fallen down. If you ask me today, the equivalent of those amulet earrings are things like astrological protection. Your, your Zodiac, get rid of that. Get rid of that. Things like Ouija boards, destroy all Ouija boards, get it out of your house. If you have a little lucky rabbit's foot, which by the way, apparently wasn't so lucky for the rabbit. But if you have a lucky rabbit's foot, get rid of that thing. Don't give it away to the thrift store, throw it in the trash, get rid of that stuff. That stuff is not something you want Forsake all of that stuff. Palm reading tarot cards. Ooh, they're really bad. Get rid of any and all of those things. There's other things too, but you want nothing to do with it. There are certain practices which if practiced will destroy your spiritual life. We don't have the time to look at the scriptures, but we can see in the new Testament where when people got right with God, they got rid of the wicked stuff. Now Acts chapter 19 and verse 19, you want to write that down. Acts 19, 19, write that down. Look it up later. That's a strong one, but I'll tell you the bottom line here is surrender to God. Surrender is the supreme secret and it's the condition to spiritual blessing. Jacob got rid of all of the earthly, earthly, worldly, wicked ways. He, what did he do with them? Look at verse four and Jacob hid them. He buried them basically under the oak, which was by Shechem. Many years ago, I heard something interesting and there's a lot of truth to it. Whenever you see an oak tree in the Bible, it usually has something to do with worldliness, depravity, something like that. Watch for that. When you see an oak tree, well, we must hurry. We get to verse 37, uh, sorry, verse seven, chapter 35, verse seven. It says, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel. Bethel means house of God. El Bethel is the, is the God of the house of God. Interesting, isn't it? That's what he called it. He called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. I want you to notice now after 10 years of backsliding in Shechem, 
I want you to see Jacob was prompt in his obedience to get right with God and do the will of God. He was prompt. I ask you, how prompt are you to do the will of God? When you're reading through your Bible and you read something and you say, wow, I think that's God's will. How prompt are you to start obeying it? Folks, that's why we need revival. Many of you have experienced some of the blessings of revival from this past week. Watch it. Be careful, beloved. You can lose it. If you don't hold on to the blessings, you will lose them. I encourage you today to extend the effects and the benefits of the revival last week. Extend it through today and into this coming week. I encourage you to join your heart with mine and let's lift our hearts to God. Let's ask God, is there anything in my life that's displeasing to you, Lord? And let the Lord show us. And then let's deal with those things. And let's take the the sinful things and let's bury them. Let's destroy them. And let's move on for God and get to where God wants us to be. Let's get out of Sodom, get out of Shechem, get back to where God wants us to be. Folks, that's what it's all about here. That is what it's all about. Look at some of the results of the revival. Verse nine, God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel, because by thy name and he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And Kings shall come out of thy loins and the land, which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee. I will give it and to thy seed after thee. Will I give the land? There are blessings after blessings waiting for the Christian who will get revived and get close back with the heavenly father. And I call you to that today. Now, would you bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me? Dear heavenly father, I pray that everyone today would hear that call. that still small voice of God calling them back to a closer walk. Heavenly father. I am so thankful to be connected with your people. I love them so much. They are my people, my family. And I pray father, your hedge of protection around each and every single one. And I ask you father, please to open the eyes of understanding in each one of us that we can see what is right and what is wrong. Please. Oh, heavenly father, give us revival. Keep us walking close with thee. Father, glorify yourself. And Lord, if there be even one watching today who's saying in their heart, how can I be part of God's family? Please, my father, show them the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ dying for their sins. And let them by faith pray to Jesus and repent of a sinful life and receive Jesus into their heart and life as Lord and Savior. Father, help us to help this city come to know Jesus as Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. 
We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.